there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, we're happening. We're live. And, of course, we are, well, not we, because I don't know where Dr. Batar is. He's here with me, but not technically. I'm I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, broadcasting live from the United States Health Freedom Congress. Dr. Batar should be here, but, hey, he's got a life. He's busy, too, and he respects and appreciates health freedom wherever he is. How are you doing, Dr. Batar? I am doing well, Robert. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm, I'm pumped up because I'm surrounded by people that love health, freedom, and healing liberty. And anytime you're around those folks, you just can't help but feel warm and happy. I totally get what you're saying. Like-mindedness, being, being around uh, people with like-mindedness always uh, recharges the batteries. And I think it's the principle that Napoleon Hill referred to as the mastermind principle. So if we have people that are similar of thought it just reinvigorates an individual and it's uh it's always a good thing to have and i miss that actually every time i don't realize how much i miss it till i'm actually in one of the situations and realize how important that is yeah well exactly that's why i say uh find a way like to make it back for the cancer prevention convention and any other events that we have uh coming up and i'll obviously give you a heads up on them but sometimes you have some things that uh, i don't know about so we definitely want to let the audience know anytime they get a chance to connect with you Absolutely, and uh, I appreciate you putting the word out. So hopefully we'll be together coming up in in October. I'm not even sure if uh, there's going to be a new live event in October with Truth About Cancer, but definitely that one and then possibly one before that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what we can do to plug it out there. Now, uh, let's dive into some advanced medicine, shall we? Uh, This is uh, Mm -hmm. something I've been bringing up for a long time about hepatitis C, right? Now, I've disputed whether a hepatitis C virus has actually ever been truly isolated. But we can set that aside for a moment and say, whatever their cure is, I think it's Harvoni, some kind of pill that costs 12000 bucks. you do it for X number of weeks, and you're supposedly cured of it. You know, my argument is that how can you be cured in, like, X number of weeks with a toxic poison, something that took you a lifetime to achieve. And this hepatitis C, again, I dispute what it is, but I will acknowledge it is liver inflammation. It is liver congestion. There are problems with your liver function when you have a hep C diagnosis. So I think the idea is a fallacy to begin with. And now there's a study that's saying, hey, the immune system doesn't recover despite the so-called cured hepatitis C infection. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised at all because uh, most of the treatments that are done for hepatitis C uh, are oriented to their immunosuppressive. Actually, if you start looking at things, things such as um, interferon, for example, it's mm-hmm. very similar to cancer in the sense that their goal is to reduce inflammation so they start to give things that are going to uh, reduce the body's the side effect, like like cortisol, for example, or steroids, for example, yes, they suppress uh, inflammation, they inhibit inflammation, but they also suppress the immune system. That's the side effect. And so with hepatitis C, many of the treatments are similar in, I mean, they don't use necessarily chemotherapy, but mm-hmm. uh, interferon is one of the first lines of defense when dealing with 
hepatitis from a conventional standpoint. And um, it, it just causes more damage than it does anything else. It, it's more destructive in the long run. Um, and there's so many other things that can be done to enhance the liver function while reducing the viral count that then eventually a person can have a relatively normal life with hepatitis C. And we've even had a few patients that the viral counts were absolutely negated and they, you know, there, there was no reportable viral counts. Right. Uh, had from millions down to not non-detectable levels. So uh, there are many other things that can be done, but hepatitis C, certainly the conventional treatments don't cure hepatitis C. Hepatitis C is one of those conditions that is considered to be permanent. It's supposed to be once you've got it, that's it. Yeah, no, again, I dispute their definition of what it is other than to acknowledge, yes, there is inflammation as with any itis syndrome or symptom, so to speak. Uh, But, uh, you know, my point here also, and you mentioned like viral load tests, I always want to point out that they don't differentiate between replicating viruses and debris fields from the immune system that successfully stopped them from replicating. So sometimes these so-called uh, viral counts can be deceiving. Like if you put them on a therapy, an immunotherapy that actually enhances immune response and they neutralize the viruses, the counts can go up if their liver's congested, which it is by definition, because they're not clearing the debris fast enough. So if people, the doctors freak you out. And I ask these patients that are on a truly holistic or integrative natural therapies to support immunity, I asked them, well, how were you feeling when they said your viral counts were through the roof? Oh, I felt better than I had in years because they weren't dealing with suddenly rapidly replicating zillion viruses. And I think that's a, a flaw in the testing system. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Robert. I think that the methodology that's used to test um, is going to dictate whether or not you can see a perceivable improvement or worsening. And if you have things that are selectively biased as, as far as showing improvements based upon only the criteria that's defined as improving, mm-hmm. um, you, you're not going to be able to see. For example, they don't look at how the liver is functioning. They don't look at right. sound levels, for example. They're just looking at the viral counts themselves. And that doesn't, you know, there may be a di- direct correlation between the amount of virus and the amount of uh, inflammation of the liver, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's helping the person. Yeah, you may be, it's almost like you kill the messenger. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you end up killing, um, you end up killing the machine or killing the messenger, and but you also take down everything else with it. The people that are right. supposed to receive the mess also get killed in the same process. So you don't want mess. to cause more destruction to the liver is the point. You want to help the liver, you want to reduce the viral count, and you want to enhance a person's ability to, to survive and, and have a well-functioning, right. productive the, lifespan. But you don't want to damage them, and that's a lot the of process. people end up causing damage to the liver. This is such an important topic, Dr. Batar, because I think so many, medical and non-medical, are deceived by this. And, and the point I'm making, too, with advanced medicine and the things that you've done and taught other doctors to do is that you're not just targeting something for destruction because then everything potentially can be destroyed by it. If you know that the liver is inflamed and dysfunctional and you target, let's say, more holistically uh, a replicating virus and you stop it, just because you stopped it doesn't mean you address the underlying issue, and that's the point of, you know, when we talk about detoxification being a key part and then remineralization being a key part, all of those things are lacking in the miracle pill from modern medicine that says your hep C is cured, and now we find out years later the immune system has not been cured. It's just as faulty as when they started treatment. Yeah, exactly, uh, and that's Actually, not just with hepatitis C. Obviously, this is an argument that can be made, uh, a point that can be made towards all pathology. This is how modern medicine is. It's very palliative in nature. It's not really, um, it, it doesn't really solve anything in the long run. It just extends the inevitable and 
one of the analogies that I make is like with the car, there's a rumbling sound in the engine. And so what they're doing is they're putting a bandaid on it. They're turning up the volume of the stereo so you can't hear the rumbling noise. If that doesn't work, they're telling you to wear head mo- uh, you know, earmuffs so that that lines out the, or drowns out the sound of the rattling in the engine. You're not really doing anything to the engine. You're not really helping the engine. You're not doing anything definitive to make the engine um, function better or to get rid of that noise. You're just covering up the noise and giving yourself a false sense of security. So this is something not just with hepatitis, it actually can be extended out to all aspects of how the conventional medical system is designed to work. It's designed to get rid of symptoms and alleviate the immediate concern, um, regardless of what the consequences, regardless of the, you, the fact that you may get a false sense of security. Yeah, beautifully said. And and again, this is the comprehensive discussion. And I'll be honest, folks, I'm, you know, I'm here at the U.S. Health Freedom Con- Congress, which is great, talking about principles in you know fundamental liberty to be able to choose the path you want and and we support doctors too in their ability to do what is what we consider maybe outside of their training and shouldn't be but this idea of my goodness let's see the liver's not functioning properly what can we do to help it to function properly again well no that's not in your scope of practice because you're only about killing bad guys really that's it that's depressing and that leads to the, you know, the concerns we have with depression among the allopathic patient, uh, doctor population because you, know, you might have gone in for the right reasons and you find out you're stuck in a system that's, that's poisoning people for a living you know, outside of acute trauma and intervention to keep people alive at, at, you know, in those moments. Of course, we, we acknowledge is a good part of it. But, man, beyond that, it's depressing. Yeah, it is depressing, Robert. And I think that as long as we uh, as a society understand the mistake that we're making – and start to become more cognizant of the fact that this false sense of security is not really helping us. It's just um, making things worse. And sometimes pulling your head out of the sand and looking at the, the facts for what they are and realizing that the body's design is when you start having that symptom is actually feedback to tell you what's dangerous or what's wrong, what you need to do. You know, it's, it's a signal. It's like the flashing light in your dashboard telling you something's wrong with the engine. Yeah. And and appreciating that message and then doing something proactive as opposed to just getting rid of the flashing light and covering it up or taking the fuse out so it doesn't disturb you and then thinking, oh, well, you know, now the flash isn't flashing because I took the fuse out and so I've got a false sense of security. Yeah. It doesn't behoove anybody to do that. So it's, um, it's not a sustainable way of living, let's put it that way. No, and, and you know, nothing that we've said in this segment, just so you know, folks, it, it lightens the or tries to make light of a hep c diagnosis that's not my point in saying it i can dispute what it is relative to what they think it is but i i don't say it's not a serious issue it is but i would completely look at it differently and in fact you know as i've counseled doctors to help you know more holistic ways to address viral loads that's fine but again the bigger picture is what we learn in advanced medicine it's how do we restore integrity to the body what's in there that shouldn't be in there What's not in there that should be in there? And then we look deeper into what emotional toxicity, mental thought forms that have gone wrong or awry, and even spiritual issues. And I talk about that in my my lecture tonight, uh, Dr. Batar from the the Health Freedom Congress. Is you know if you are not aligned with your mission, purpose, and reason for being here, all kinds of things will come up in your life to try to direct you, not to poison you or punish you but to try to say hey you're 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 going the wrong way go this way right and of course we look at that and say oh that's a horrible symptom let's just kill the messenger and instead of listening to the message saying hey how do i modify my life and my mission my purpose my path to create a different future you're absolutely right robert and this is where educating the public 
educating our colleagues, um, educating ourselves as to what we need to be doing in order to be able to live the sustainable life uh, that we're talking about and doing it in a manner that is instructive to our children and to the future generations in peace. And I, and I hope that we are doing that and I'm glad that I'm able to get on the air with you every weekend. Yes. Speaking of the next generation, is it generation panic? What's going on with the millennials? We'll get into that after this break. You're listening to Advanced Medicine with Dr. Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show each and every week. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week, and one very special hour with Dr. Rashid Bittar. We call it Advanced Medicine, and you can go to advancedmedicine.com. All kinds of archives available to you. If you need an invitation code to go further into it, 1358 for the Robert Scott Bell Show listeners, you know who you are. Uh, links are up, archives available all over the web, too, and uh, we're also simulcasting on YouTube. Dr. Bittar is now simulcasting on his Facebook Live page, the official Dr. Rashid Bittar uh, page, so that's cool. Now... We've got kids. Um, you've got oh, your, some of your kids are older than mine, but some of them about the same age too. And here's an article. It says Generation Panic. Why is there so much anxiety among millennials? And you know, I, I look at this and I asked Superdine. I said because he's has been reading up on this stuff. I was busy with the Congress today. Uh, is there any mention of vaccines and heavy metals in the article? He says no. There's none at all. So I think we got to explain what's going on with these twenty uh, somethings and young thirty somethings, Doctor Batar. Well, first of all, if you're talking about the correlation between heavy metals and some of the the, the younger generation, you're talking about what fifteen to twenty five? Is that the age group you're talking about, Robert? Yeah, they're calling the the, gen, the generation uh, millennials, so to speak. They're they're usually in their mid twenties now. Some are younger thirties that really went through the the extra hammering of the vaccine schedule expansion. But again, in this article about their panic and anxiety, mentions nothing about that. Yeah, and I think that that's a that's in itself a. Flashing light, don't you agree? Uh, oh yeah, big time. About. Yeah, the heavy metals. The DVD that we produced, part of the Know Your Options, the medical series of, regarding heavy metals, was heavy metals. Heavy metal toxicity is the hidden killer, and I believe that heavy metals is basically constitu- they they make up the heavy metal issue of the heavy metal toxicity issue. I believe makes up probably the greatest. Um, has the greatest impact on modern health care and pathology in the modern medical system. In the last 100 years, in the last 50 years, I think that it's the heavy metal toxicity that's had the greatest impact as far as contribution to pathology and probably the, by definition, you know, without any, without anybody arguing, probably the least amount of coverage as far as how significant of an issue it is. So it's completely opposite extremes. It's probably the most impactful and it's probably getting the least amount of press. And I think the reason is because they have, when I say they, the powers that be, have basically dropped the ball and not paid attention to something. And even now those those parts of the hierarchy that have recognized it to be a problem, it's too late for them to admit it because it's, it would be an embarrassment. They basically would be admitting 
failure or defeat that they basically failed at their mission of safeguarding the public mm-hmm. health. So certain organizations like the EPA, you know, they've, they've talked about chemicals and metals, but like, just remember uh, a year, two years ago when the Colorado River got contaminated and they, they didn't really... They didn't really cover it the way it should have been covered. Now, it's going to be covered in the documentary that's coming out, but they didn't really give it the amount of coverage that people deservedly um, should have had and that that would help people to make better decisions and make them more aware of some of these constraints that are mm-hmm. being put on us. And we, we as a society don't even realize that these are constraints being put on us. That these are barriers to our health. So... Yeah. Is this this article basically by merely the absence of heavy metal mention uh, basically makes our point for us. I mean, you know, we can rest our case because here's again the same thing. They're talking about all this stuff with uh, personality disorders or with uh, depression or anxiety, whatever it is, and they're not talking about heavy metals. And this is affecting the the neurochemistry mm-hmm. very intimately. And Dr. Batar, the the idea of an environmental spill, of course, it does get a lot of outrage and coverage. Why do they care? Well, apparently it's not good for the environment or anybody in it. So how is it suddenly okay to ignore when it's in a syringe given to little babies and children? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's another great point because they're they're not only not giving um, voice to the issue, but they're also contributing on other aspects to that very toxicity. So it would not benefit them to bring that to light because they're going around with the vaccines and with dental amalgams and with many other things. And, you know, I'm just talking about mercury. There's many other chemicals and, and many other metals that are being used on a global scale that are detrimental to human health and, and to any kind of physiological animal working. Yeah. So obviously it's not something that, that they're going to get lit for service to because the more they talk about it, the more visibility they're going to have at their own downfall. Of course, it's their own negative. Exactly. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're up on a break. When we come back, macrophages. It's what it's what for dinner. Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Why the confusion? We got some science to discuss with Doctor Batar next. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Belcher. Hey, do you want health freedom? This is the place. Health freedom, healing, liberty. Two hours a day, six days a week. Right now, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Batar continues. You go to advancedmedicine.com as well as robertscottbell.com. Learn all about upcoming events and all kinds of cool stuff to plug into to bring the power to heal back to you where it belongs. Now, Dr. Batar, a couple of uh, guys you know very well. We're here, and they're going to be honored uh, for some health freedom, for standing up for what was right. Uh, Dr. Um, Mark Geyer and his son, David. And uh, uh, they told their story of how they won against the, you know, the medical board in Maryland that just totally, totally jumped the shark when they just revealed all of their own private medical records and such. And it was unbelievable how... How disconnected from reality the people that run medical boards are, like they're above the law. I mean, this is the, their defense was like a Nuremberg defense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's something that I have been very uh, keenly aware of in the last uh, six months and some of the things that are happening right now behind the scenes. But um, 
Yeah, I and I've I've known the guards for many years, and and actually you were with us when in, at Autism One. Remember when uh, yep. we interviewed them too? So yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive though that they they stuck to their guns and they won. Of course, uh, again, a lot of these boards, the state boards of medicine, these people on them, they think they're immune to to uh, trouble. But uh, they were able to pierce it, and, man, they got nailed. But uh, it was just total vindictiveness on their part, what they went after, the, the way they went after the Geyers. Uh, so, yeah. anyway, but heavy metal still a big role to play, and they're ignoring it in the mainstream media, certainly on that last story we covered about Generation Panic and the Millennials. Uh, we could add EM Fields into the mix, certainly. But uh, I want to go into this. This There are two two studies, two stories here about macro, mac, Robert, bacteriophages. Robert, before we do that, yeah. before we do that, can I just make a comment? Sure. Um, I'm getting a lot of... I'm getting a lot of feedback here, people asking stuff. So basically, after we're done with the radio, I will stay on and answer all the questions that are coming in. So I promise if I, if I uh, don't address those right now, because we've got an agenda to keep up with as far as with the articles that Robert's talking about. So for those people that are listening, um, and one thing that I just want to say, this is really important. I don't know why I feel like I need to say this right now, Robert, but one of the listeners right now has made a comment uh, that they've forgiven everyone um, that they had to, and they're dealing with cancer. And I think this idea of forgiveness is so key. It's something that we've talked about on the air, Robert and I have many times, and it's something that's very important. So anybody that's listening, if you have cancer, that's one thing you need to look at is forgiveness. And we'll come, we'll talk more about that after we're done with the radio, with the live radio show. So, Robert, sorry about that. No, no, no apologies necessary. I mean, it's a beautiful comment, and it's so important. And, you know, we even talked about that in the health freedom battles because it's too easy to look at everybody as your enemy. And, you know, what, what, what about the law of love that supersedes even, even that, all of that? And so yeah. self-forgiveness for, and forgiveness for everybody else is really forgiving yourself and allowing yourself to heal instead of holding on to anger and other things. So uh, always up for that reminder, always. So now into the, into the deep depths of biology, physiology, uh, biochemistry. I don't know where we're going here, but it's called bacteriophages, these things. And one headline reads, bacteriophages offer promising alternative to antibiotics. And then another headline reads, bacteriophages, are they an overlooked driver of Parkinson's disease? How can one thing be potentially good and bad, and are they interpreting it right in either case? Well, bacteriophages, the the more common term that we use in medicine is macrophages. And macrophages are a specific type of uh, white blood cells. Macrophages are actually, uh, I believe in Latin, it literally means like uh, uh, consumption or eater or something like that, like a big Mm -hmm. eater. So these are cells that engulf other types of um, garbage in the body, if you will, and uh, they basically come in. So when somebody has an infection, for example, the macrophages come in there and they're eating up all the bacteria and all the necrotic tissue and the, the debris, et cetera, et cetera. So bacteriophage is basically something that acts like a macrophage, but it's bacterial. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the reason that they've got this plant. Some people are saying positive things, some people are saying negative things. But basically, uh, it, it's almost, um, in a robber, we've talked about um, the condition that ends with itis. It's, all that means is, you know, if it's a esophageal, uh, if it's a gastroenteritis, you know, it's actually uh, the gastric, um, that, that, that the first part of the word is describing the anatomical structure. And the Where it is, yeah. The condition of, yeah. So basically, uh, gastritis is inflammation of the gastric system. 
uh, or esophagitis is inflammation or yeah, inflammation of the esophagus or whatever the case is. So a bacteriophage is a bacteria that's actually engulfing other bacteria and other types of debris. So it would, if they can selectively control the bacteria and, and um, you have a bacteria that can be selective in eating certain bad things in the body, um, garbage, you know. Then it could be a legitimate alternative to antibiotics, perhaps. But I remember a, a scientific study that said, you know what? If we add bacteriophages to your lunch meat, we won't have to use preservatives. I, I'm not kidding. They're like, bacteriophages on your cold cuts. Now, stop me, but cold cuts probably not the best way if you're an animal uh, eater to eat them because they're often processed and they're different from when or if they've been factory farmed. But the idea, of course, is caught on in that they identify certain substances that will eat bacteria and are thinking, okay, maybe this would be better than antibiotic. And, and it could be argued, perhaps, Dr. Batari, if they could do that. But I always think about unintended consequences. Can they contain it? Can it stay the same? Can it do the job they want it to do and nothing else? Well, from a uh, philosophical standpoint, if you could have a bacteriophage that's selective at eating certain bacteria, um, and maybe my maybe my understanding was a little bit skewed because I was thinking of bacteriophages, the bacteria that's acting as a macrophage. But if they're talking about a macrophage that's selective for certain types of bacteria, from a theoretical standpoint, it would be a great idea. The problem is, as you said, you don't know the unintended consequences of that. Um, the other issue that you got to worry about is that most of these things are not selective. Like chemotherapy is not selective just against the cancer cells. It has uh, a napalm-like effect, a broad-spectrum effect. So. And then the other aspect is, of course, if you have a bacteriophage that's eating certain bacteria, how do you keep that bacteria from not destroying the beneficial bacteria that is essential in our bodies? Because as you talk about the law of the train, the, bi- the biological the bio- mm-hmm. system, there's a potential devastating effect that bacteriophages, if they're going after bacteria, could have. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. Now, let's go to the, the, the so-called negative side of this equation because there was a secondary article, uh, and this is all at Medical Express. We have it linked up in the show notes. You all want to check it out and see for yourself. RobertScottBell.com. It's there. Are they an overlooked driver of Parkinson's disease? They're saying this is a New, New York-based uh, Human Microbiology Institute discovered the role certain bacteriophages may play in the onset of Parkinson's. And, and so, you know, here we have this positive thing where it's engulfing and devouring things maybe you don't want. Are they saying they're arguing that it's engulfing and devouring things you might want to protect you from Parkinson's? Um, yeah, I think that that's true. There, there, there may be certain things that, that can help to protect us. Robert, I did not review that study, so what's the, what's the um, basis of that particular um, article? Well, they said that uh, they called these um, an abundance of, of lytic, I guess that's cell lysis, right? They eat lacto, lactococcus phages, okay? Yeah. And it was higher in Parkinson's patients when compared to healthy uh, healthier individuals. And they said the abundance led to a tenfold reduction in neurotransmitter-producing lactococcus, suggesting the possible role of phages in neurodegeneration. So that's the basic premise of what they're uncovering. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's... Again, this is one of those types of uh, observational things we've talked about. Every time I see fires, I've noticed fire engines. Therefore, I conclude that fire engines cause fires. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, is it possible that these people with Parkinson's have a heavy metal issue that's causing an immunosuppression, so they end up having a higher level of bacterial counts? And then when they put the bacteria, uh, bacteriophages in there and they reduce the, bac- 
the, the bacteria count. And so they're thinking that the high counts of bacteria are caused by Parkinson's, whereas, in fact, it's caused because of an immunosuppression that was the actual, uh, the immunosuppression which was created by the heavy metals that caused the immunosuppression, which are causing the oxidative stress in the, in the neuronal tissue. I mean, you follow what I'm saying here? And it's, yeah. It's an observation that may not be based on, it, this isn't science. I mean, it's an observation yeah. and it may, it may be a fact, but, you know, a pile of facts it, makes yeah. more science than a pile of bricks makes a house. Right. And that's a great point to bring up here because, you know, where is the reference? Just like in that that so-called study of generation panic and no mention of heavy metals and, and you know, mercury or, or vaccines and the damage that it's causing the nervous system and other systems of, the, of those uh, millennials. Uh, similar scenario, you might identify this potential contributing factor to Parkinson's, but is it incidental because of a heavy metal burden or an extreme nutrient mineral deficiency scenario? And that obviously is not part of their observation here. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And this is one of the problems, again, when you start dealing with um, this accumulation of facts and then start to make deductions on those based on those accumulations. You have to have you have to have a premise upon which you can build. And I think that their premise here um, is loose at best because their their premise is that bacteria may be contributing to Parkinson's, and they really don't have any basis to create that uh, assumption. I mean, that's that's what I'm getting from the brief uh, review, and maybe I'm missing something, but honestly, uh, the use of bacteriophage based on... um, decrease a certain bacterial counts in patients that have Parkinson's would that that that's like so far fetched, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well I know that we some know of those bacteria cause the Parkinson's in the first place. Some would say, well, Dr. Batar, you're such a killjoy. I thought we were onto something here. And you're like, no, 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 we're not killjoys. We're actually talking about that uh, you know, that bigger, larger terrain. Because you can get down in the microcosm and start identifying unique pathways, things happening. Now, and they don't, they don't know. They're speculating, oh, we saw this. This is a correlation. Is it causation? As you said, the uh, fire engines appear where fires are. They're not the cause of the fires. Uh, so it's important to come back always. And this is you know, kind of a litmus for me. Come back to the law of the terrain. Come back to the concept of the environment and then start, you know, making suppositions from there. Does it fit in? Does it not? How does it? You know, then you could start going and making something that makes sense. Perhaps this does have some promise, but maybe it's just, you know, tilting at macrophage windmills. And this is, it comes back to what we talked about before. There's the CDC has two teams, the toxicology team and the infectious disease team. Again, right. These are the viral hunters, the bacterial hunters. They're always looking at the viral and the bacterial aspect. They don't look at the toxicology aspect, which is far, far greater than they than they give it, um, you know, credence for. I mean, if, if you if you look at bacteria and viruses, and then you look at the toxicity, I mean, toxicity is like the, you know, it's massive, massive contribution to disease. And they don't, they don't talk about it, but they talk yeah. about everything is a bacteria or a virus. So it comes right back along to what uh, Ian Jeff used to talk about, right? The, the, right. Hey, it's a, it's enough to make you depressed, but we're not. Yeah. We're happy because we get together and have a great time doing advanced medicine each week. Stick around. We've got a study identifying the link between antidepressant treatment and inflammation. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. And Dr. Bittar.
Qatar. I am at the USL Freedom Congress in St. Paul, Minnesota. He is wherever he is. It doesn't matter. It's advanced medicine wherever Dr. Bittar is. And uh, you go back to the archives, and now you can catch us not only on YouTube, but uh, Dr. Bittar has his Facebook Live as well and Instagram apparently going live as well. So uh, it's just getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And Dr. Bittar, no depression here, honestly. But there is a one finale story related to depression and treatment for depression. Of course, it's an allopathic medical story, and it says, my gosh, darn you depressed people. You're not responding to our drugs because there's inflammation in your system. Oh, really? You think people are depressed, don't have inflammation? That might be part of the problem. Yeah, so, you know, here's the funny thing. I've always been amazed that the most prescribed category of drugs in North America, at least it was last year, were antidepressants. And the statistics were that at some point, at least 50% of Americans, I think this is about two or three years old, this data, was that uh, at the current rate, more than 50% of the American population at some time would be on an antidepressant, such as Prozac or one of the, one of the similar uh, drugs. Now, mm-hmm. what I find most amusing about this is that if, if you were sick or if you had a problem, you were ill, you, you had some type of ailment, and you go to a doctor and you tell them, I've got this problem, and they do your blood, they do their standard blood work, they do a max 7 and a CBC, or they do an exam, they say, well, there's nothing wrong with you because your blood work's normal and your physical exam's normal. Which, by the way, remember, like things like this is heavy metal toxicity, persistent organic pollution toxicity, or any of these things, um, energetic uh, sensitivity to electromagnetic radiation, or ambient cell phone radiation, or, or some of these other types of conditions that we've talked about or an emotional psychological issue, whatever it is, you know, the blood work won't show it. And so what do they do? They tell them, well, there's nothing wrong with you. So here, take this antidepressant. It's normal for a person to feel depressed if they're not well. And then when they go seeking help for that illness, they're told there's nothing wrong with you. That would make anybody depressed. And the solution is not to cover up that problem by, you know, it's like throwing a towel over somebody. It's like, it's like a child covering up his eyes and saying, I can't, nobody can see me now. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you give somebody an antidepressant, it doesn't mean the depression goes away. Yeah, you may alter the neurochemistry so they can't perceive it, but their illness that caused the depression in the first place that nobody could diagnose is still there. Yeah. Think about, uh, you know, when you're chronically ill, and this is to your point, Dr. Batar, there's, there are energy issues. There, you know, we can say mitochondrial issues. You know, you're not feeding the system enough to where, you know, if you don't have enough energy, there is a normal response can be depression. You know, you're kind of bummed out. I lack energy, that kind of concept. And it doesn't mean you're lacking in those synthetic molecules approved by the Fear and Death Administration called Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, etc. And that's not to say no one on planet Earth has ever claimed to be benefited by them. I get it. You're in a mess, and you suddenly, oh, my gosh, I feel better. But the risk, of course, as you're titrating up or down on those medicines especially, is that you'll end up taking your own life or taking other people's lives as well. And that's like 90% of these shootings have happened with people on psychotropic medication approved by the FDA and prescribed by a doctor, particularly a psychiatrist. And nobody talks about the, those people that are on the psychotropic drugs that cause these uh, excessive acts of violence. And no. you know, we, we need to remember that these drugs are, come from the same classification. There's a great book uh, called uh, Prozac Panacea or Pandora because it talks about the class of that. These, these are the same class of drugs uh, as angel dust that was a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. And many people have had uh, break what they call breakthrough suicide where the drugs will cause them to hallucinate. 
and then they'll do something and they think they can fly, for example, mm-hmm. um, and of course they can't fly, and then they died. And it's ruled as a suicide because they jumped from a high building, they were depressed, whereas in fact they were hallucinating. So there's all these different types of uh, situations that people need to be aware of. Um, and I think that more and more people are aware of it. And antidepressant, to me, um, it, you know, start exercising. Do Go out there and volunteer, do some work, get some sunlight. Yeah. You'll see your depression disappear. You know, go, go to a comedy show. Uh, do, do something with, uh, with somebody that you know truly loves you, you know, with your kids or something. The depression, you'll find the depression alleviates itself. Mm-hmm. But to put attention to it, you know, give it attention where, where attention goes, energy flows. So when you give attention to that, oh, I'm depressed, now you're giving energy to it. Give energy to something else. Give energy to something else opposite of the of the um, thing that's making you sad or depressed. Right. Some, put attention where something exciting, something makes you happy, and then see what happens. You'll see a natural form of antidepressant without right. side effects. Move towards that vitamin L, that love we talk about here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Bittar doing advanced medicine each and every week. We've got lots more healing to go from the United States Health Freedom Congress, but we're done with Dr. Bittar, at least for this week. Dr. Bittar, let them know what they need to know because it's time to go. But the power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.